I just want to quote from this um, footnote that I mentioned because I think it's very good and we're not going to discuss it, but just to foreshadow a discussion that we will be having in, in the next couple of months. That various forms of Stoicism continue to enjoy the status of supposed spiritual wisdom in our own historical epoch, in everything from advanced philosophy to self-help books, should remind us how far we are from having achieved an emancipated society. So again, this is a point that I mean, Phil has already kind of um, sketched out as well, that somehow the appeal of Stoicism uh, recurs in moments of I guess historical fatalism and and sense of um, sense of closure and our inability to seize the capacities for our own freedom. Um, so anyway, something that I think foreshadowed very well. I actually tweeted out that footnote because I thought it was so good, and Heigland was like, "Shit, I I thought of putting putting that in the conclusion. I just left it on a footnote." <laughs> so there you go. Um, so anyway, it's an important one uh, worth reading because um, I think it, it sums up his the argument of the whole book actually possibly um, quite neatly. It's also, I wonder, I mean, not to put too fine a point in it, but I wonder if it's also very specific to the end of the end of history. Um, because, you know, Stoicism is also, there's a strong overlap with cosmopolitanism, kind of the co- cosmopolitanism of the ancients and the later Roman Empire. Um, and, it, you know, at least according in the Hegelian reading, which is what I'm assuming Hagland is borrowing from or drawing on, it's the... Um, the fact that you have certain limited rights in the kind of world empire, but that you're blocked by the bureaucratic imperial state. You don't have, so you have certain rights as a citizen that, um, which you can enjoy, you know, a certain kind of life if you're a Roman citizen and not a slave, but that you're, you know, the kind of the crushing weight of imperial despotism limits the way in which human freedom can be expressed. And so you get this kind of global political structure which is controlled by an overbearing kind of centralized despotism. And you kind of try and shelter within that and you withdraw internally. You know, you kind of avoid the overcommitment that risks self-destruction and the, um, you know, the undoing of everything that you care about. So I wonder if there is, you know, a deeper, it's not just kind of um, capitalism per se, but also, you know, a deeper kind of pervasive, um, political powerlessness, so that it belongs also to an era that is um, not kind of an imp- not the Roman imperial um, globalism or cosmopolitanism, but a late, you know, kind of late capitalist American version, the end of the twentieth century, early twenty first century. Mm. That's a really interesting point, but is it actually right? Because isn't it the? I don't know. I suggested it that yeah. there is more. Maybe you know there is a political. There's a political complementarity. It's not just about kind of the economic side of things. No, but I mean, because th- when you started talking, I was like, yeah, you, 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 I was convinced. But then the longer you were talking, the less convinced I, I was. <laughs> because I start, I started thinking that actually, are we, are we really stoic in the sense of like with relation to empire or international relations? Isn't it more interventionist and kind of a saviorist complex that Western nations have to kind of you know responsibility to protect and humanitarian intervention all this sort of thing i mean this is taking us quite a way off we've we've gone from the main text of footnote to points raised by the footnotes this is a super deep cut but it just yeah um i thought i would uh get your take on that given given your um yeah, it's an in, i mean i'm not saying i'm not saying it's a consistent kind of a consistent account of our existing politics it's only to say that stoicism and cosmo there is kind of an overlap between stoicism and cosmopolitanism hmm. um 
and that you see that in the kind of Roman, you know, that's connected to the Roman period, and perhaps it's connected to our period now. And there is the effort to relieve human suffering in the human form of humanitarianism, um, but not to address it. I mean, that's well, the and, other, and, the there, and there's also no commitment, right? Mm. You can go and bomb a country, yeah. but it's kind of at arm's length. There's no engagement with dealing with the pain that you cause or whatever, right? Yeah, or um, indeed transforming, you know, systemic transformation of the causes is really, you know, is ultimately left unaddressed. So you kind you address, you kind of relieve extreme human suffering, but the idea of um, engaging in risky and dangerous political transformation, um, you know, that falls by the wayside. So there might be, you know, there might be more to it. Anyway, mm. I mean, it's well, let, let's let, we'll put a pin a in this, bomb. and and we'll and we'll um, maybe come back to it um, in the final episode on this because we're going to draw out some of the, um, you know, the kind of political themes and also kind of conclusions that we might draw from the book. So uh, one to uh, come back to in a couple of months time. So um, turning to another aspect of, um, I guess, personhood or subjectivity that uh, Hagland addresses. And one is the question of coherence. Hagland stresses that we what we must strive for, for in our lives is not completion. Our life are, is never complete. It's never over. You never put a bow on it at the end of it. But rather, um, you w- want your life to be coherent. And that coherent um, is a life endowed with a purpose or a telos. Uh, he says, you know, if you're a sociologist, you commit to being a sociologist and being the best damn sociologist you can be. Um, and that is your life. Or whether you decide to, whether you're a father or, um, you know, a, a, a watchmaker or whatever, you might be um, that that demands commitment and a certain coherence over the course of your life. My um, trouble with this is not any kind of objection to to that proposal as such, but I wor- wonder and I worry whether Hagland isn't um, demanding precisely what we're lacking um, in our alienated society. Isn't doesn't Hagland risk demanding that we do precisely what his critique says? Um, is lacking. So let me just give an example. Um, from page 58, he says, the form of living on, which means a commitment to um, extending life and making life better, um, a commitment to this worldly life, the form of living on makes it possible to bind the past to the future, to make our lives last and hold together beyond the moment. But the time of our lives, and this is me saying this, um, the time of our lives is actually so fragmented into shards in the postmodern world. It's often too unstable to actually provide coherence to a life and often too accelerated as well to even be able to reflect our own own lives, um, a process which might then discover or impose some coherence in our lives. So to achieving coherence in, you know, uh, the postmodern times or whatever you want to call it, um, achieving coherence is very difficult. And isn't Hagland just going, well, yes, the problem is we have a lack of coherence. So what you need is to have coherence. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that I would read it in exactly the same way in terms of it all being about coherence and the necessity of having a kind of a singular project or a, a, a telos um, to make to give life meaning. I think, isn't it more about the the necessity to to make these 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 choices and i mean things that we've already talked about in terms of the the finitude of of all of the things that you can attach yourself to um you have to choose between them you you are um necessarily making a choice of of some and not others and so that's that's where you where you give the meaning i don't i don't know if i would interpret what he was saying as that you necessarily need to have a, a singular overarching project in in your whole life to give it that meaning no, isn't it no, more that no. you're 
you're having to choose between you know you have a finite number of options you have a finite time you know this is it's that that it's not like scarcity gives it meaning but it's like it, on the other side of the coin it's like eternity is is undesirable this is an argument that he makes and i think it makes it very like in a, in an interesting way and differently to some other critiques of eternal life that you get from philosophers like bernard williams who says that eternal life's boring or um martha nosbaum who who's like yeah it would be really alienating because if you're it you just wouldn't be human at all you'd be like uh, dr manhattan in the um in watchmen you'd be like completely detached and alienated Has martha so, nosbaum really read watchmen no sorry I, I she says it's alienating i bought in the watchmen um right. uh, and actually she, maybe she's read the graphic novel she had she may Probably or may not, not seen the film um but yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 that's not how I sort of read it. That coherence was the the thing that you're sort of striving for. But I might have sort of missed that aspect. A I bit. tend to agree. I tend to agree with George. I think he's, you know, uh, that said, he does, you know, it's I've, I does he doesn't seem to really address alienation, at least thus far. So in the sense of the basic. Um, powerlessness which isn't just a psychological or subjective state but actually you know a structural condition of um of life in a society in which the control over the means of production is um monopolized or restricted then inevitably you end up in a particular position where you know that lack of control will constantly thwart any effort to impose meaning and direction on your life because you're dependent so constantly dependent on others in one form or another so let me let me just flesh out this point about coherence actually with reference to to the text because it comes through possibly most strongly in his discussion of Knausgaard um, and Knausgaard's secular confession uh, he um, points out that you know to, to own your life is not to own what you love because it's not your possession, but to own that you love what you love. And you should focus the gaze. And this is a phrase he takes from Knausgaard. It's a, it's a repeated phrase in, in Knausgaard's My Struggle. Focus the gaze by attaching yourself to what you see. And I think um, the idea of coherence comes out in that discussion because Knausgaard throughout the book sometimes, uh, this is Hagelin's reading of it. I haven't read uh, Knausgaard's My Struggle myself. Um, but that... You that Knausgaard maybe loses himself at certain points and forgets what his life is about. And then in the process of detailing, recounting his life, in the process of living it, he reconstructs it and gives it a sense of coherence, a, a, an integrity, a sense of what his self is, and that it's bound together with those that he loves. And it's and those that he loves, he sees because it's, you know, focus the gaze by attaching yourself to those that are around you. And so that's where the, I think the coherence comes through. Um, to, to kind of re remake my point in, in different terms, um, yeah, isn't he not, does he not take alienation seriously enough? Because pr the point is precisely that many people perhaps lack that, even lack those networks. Um, and to extend the point in, into a different terrain, but again, I think to, to still deal with this question of alienation, I'm going to bring in the questions of trust and faith, not just coherence. So um, trust and faith are very important. Giving yourself over to someone um, is a message that comes through very clearly. Uh, but one of the facets of alienation today is precisely a severe loss of trust as we withdraw into the private sphere and withdraw even from each other. Um, I think, for example, one can look at the uh, the 
um, fact that so many demands are made today that all relationships be contractual based on kind of kind of contractual form of consent is evidence of this lack of trust. Um, so again, is Hagelin not serious enough about the alienation that is faced and just simply exhorting us to trust, exhorting us to impose coherence in a life that um, lacks coherence and is very difficult to actually find? Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon-exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash We'd love to have you.